This episode of Class of X is brought to you by our patrons who keep the lights on and the sentinels away. Patrons like Christian Monroe, Alex Barrett, Vespiriel, Splendy the Tire God, Yov Hamovitz, and Michael Olson. To support this weird show about our favorite mutants, visit us at patreon.com slash class of X. Hello, students, and welcome to Class of X, the free internet course on how to read and enjoy the X-Men comics better. I'm your teacher and host, John Reisinger, and today I'm joined by the EVP of Content and Programming for Smosh, an honorary citizen of the Shire. It's Joel Rubin, and today we're talking about Chris Claremont and Louis Simonson's 80s epic, Fall of the Mutants. Hello, Joel. You did your research. <laughs> yeah, are you proud I got your title correct? Holy moly! Yeah, I am proud. I'm. I. I don't hear my full title very often. Usually, it's "Hey, Ding Dong, get so over fancy. here." So <laughs> fancy. It's, it's so fancy. Yeah, you got like acronym and everything in there. That's great. I just need a JD now. <laughs> How are you doing, Joel? I'm phenomenal. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm. I'm staying up past my bedtime talking about uh, X-Men with my good friend Joel who I don't get to talk to as often as I should. I really appreciate your staying up late on a level that probably most of your friends don't because we're both dads and <laughs> we got responsibilities early morning. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I go to bed at 10. I'm a 10 person. I go to bed at 10 and uh, I wake up you know at like 6 in the morning. I'm, yeah. I'm an old man who, who does all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But I will stay up late to make sure I can hang out with my Californian buddies um, to talk about comics. And speaking of which, I'd love to hear from you to tell uh, the listeners what your history, if there is any, with comics. And then specifically, you know, what's your history with X-Men? Where did you first encounter them and that kind of thing? But let us let us know a little something about you. Yeah, for sure. I don't have a very deep knowledge or history with comic books. Growing up, um, I was adjacent to friends who, um, I mean, like the, the late 80s, early 90s was very much, I mean, as an outsider, it seemed like a golden age of comics. I think in retrospect, people feel like, not maybe like golden age, that's a technical term, right? <laughs> in, in DC Comics, sure, yeah. Um, but it was, uh, it was it was a hot time for comics, um, and so my friends had them, and I was adjacent to like the death of Superman and uh, Venom and like those runs. But whenever I saw them in my friends' houses, everyone was wearing like in these comic books, cool leather jackets and they were all <laughs> moody and stuff. And you don't hear this very often. Comics seemed too cool for me. <laughs> I was intimidated by the coolness of the of the comic books. So uh, this, this says so much about you, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, I got obsessed with what had formerly been a comic and turned into a magazine, Mad Magazine. And I got really deep into the history of Mad. And that was sort of my gateway into very, you know, mid-century, um, the EC brand and all the, all the, um, the titles that... Uh, Bill Gaines was publishing back then um, and all the artists and the writers back then. So that would be like Two-Fisted Combat and oh, uh, Tales from the Crypt and, and stuff like that. Um, How funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then obviously being obsessed with Mad through my adulthood. Until yeah, yeah, yeah. So then what's what What of any experience do you have of ever encountering the X-Men in any form of media? Well, I certainly watched the cartoon when I was a kid. 
Okay. Um, I have distinct memories. I was, I mean, I was like 11 or 12 or 13 when it, when it started, I guess. And it was right after my bar mitzvah, I got a, um, a Sony Watchman for my bar mitzvah. And I remember watching um, X-Men on a road trip on a TV. Oh, nice. And that seemed, seemed like the very height of luxury to me. <laughs> it is. That is. I don't think we've reached that level of luxury since. <laughs> um, but other than that, um, obviously, I've watched the movies. I was familiar with them through culture and through my friends. Like, I knew who Wolverine was. And then, obviously, <laughs> the, the cartoon. I mean, like, through the cartoon, you get to know yeah, the yeah, yeah. Like that. I knew who Gambit was, especially because I am from Louisiana, and there is a Louisiana. Yep. Yes, he is Remy LeBeau, and I, you know, knew all that. But I, beyond, like, the just the, the top tier X-Men, I did not know folks. Okay. Yeah, at all. And then okay. the own, my education has been first really through the movies and then, which are, you know, debatably mediocre. <laughs> and then... Um, I, w- I wouldn't debate you on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you and I play Marvel Puzzle Quest together. And so that, that was oh, really do. my introduction to most of <laughs> the, char- like, the characters. I had no idea who most of these people were. Yeah, you, you just know that Onslaught is a five-star card. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know who he is, where he came from. He's just got big old purple and red armor and he's spiky and you're like, yeah, this guy has a five he's a five star. He's a five star card. I think I want him. I think I want him. <laughs> Yeah. Whenever we, we, um, we play we play with James Willems and yes, um James Who's been on the show. Uh I, I'm I'm aware. I, I've been doing my research as well, John. Good. Um, good. I expect you to. <laughs> I don't actually. Um, whenever he comes over, he shows me his current roster, and it just it makes me um, incredibly jealous of the time that he He's, has. Yeah, he has been playing it so long and has so much time to commit to it, and has committed to so much time to it. He is on in an echelon that I don't think I think very few people who still play that game are at. Yeah. Um, I, I, this is not a uh, Marvel Puzzle Quest podcast, so we won't spend too much t- talking about it. But I'll not share with yet. you, Joel. You the sponsorship is what you need. Not yet. I'll take that. <laughs> um, but I saw someone post on like the subreddit. Yes, I'm on the Marvel Puzzle Quest uh, subreddit. Me that too. they had champed all the five star cards. I'm like, what do you? What have you been doing with your life, sir? That seems like too much of a commitment to something. I, um, I have to assume they're just on the toilet a lot. They just, they're just, they constantly have <laughs> diarrhea. So you have not read an X Men comic ever? Yes. No, that's actually not true. Um, okay. I well, I guess it's it's. I don't know if it's tech. It must not be technically an X Men cover. I read. Um, uh, Neil Gaiman's Marvel 1602. I think. 16, oh, okay. Yeah. And there are X-Men in that, but I don't think it yeah. counts as an X-Men comic. Ah, we'll still count it. I mean, you, you read something that is a comic with X-Men in it. And so that's, I'll, I'll take that. I mean, that's I, fun. But, this, yeah, also, but like this, I, is, this is the first time you've read like Uncanny X-Men, an Uncanny X-Men issue, I, which no, is I, the flagship title. I, I, you know what? I dredged up from my memory today. Um, I tried to read, I think, Age of Apocalypse, and I got like oh. half of the first book in, and I was like, I don't fucking know what's going on here. This is <laughs> this is beyond me, and I put it down, and I never came back. That would be an odd I'm so, one to pick oh, up. I, gosh darn it. I'm sorry, John. <laughs> you swore. I swore. I, you swore. I try to keep this a clean podcast. I tr- I'm you swore. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
It's okay. You just had to, you, you were you had some vehement emotions about an age of apocalypse, and it just had to come. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I gosh darn don't know what's going on in this place. All right. It's okay. Um, okay, so that delights me and also frightens me because uh, this wasn't a comic that was primarily filled with necessarily highly recognizable, like you know, top tier characters. Um, that yeah, it, it's it's a mix. I'm sure you like again. You know, you have a tertiary level of knowledge of these characters due to the cartoon, which actually is pretty accurate to as an adaptation so many of the cartoon episodes were actually based on the issues or stories in the comics um they made changes for the show um but a lot of characters showing up so like you know rogue sure even though she looked a little different in this comic yes. she had different hairstyle and, and costume but i imagine seeing like long shot and spiral and uh uh stonewall and <laughs> silver saber and all that we're just like who are these jokers even like uh you there's a whole subplot going on in this story involving storm and a guy named forge oh my I, god yeah 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 yes there's a lot going on <laughs> and all right so here's let me let me give you the rundown of who i recognize you got your wolverine you got your storm yep. colossus sure mm-hmm. mystique wonderful yes and they reference juggernaut okay <laughs> yeah he he was in the issue right before that we, we read got that um i think we see shadow cat briefly at one point i got yes. her because she sees the news of what happened with the x-men at the end and um, she runs in yeah and she yeah yeah and she's like in the last tenth of the last issue and then yeah and then the characters i know from marvel puzzle quest like I mean, like, otherwise I would not have known who they are, like Havoc and Dazzler yep. and, yep. yeah, um, Blob and, I don't know, a bunch of bunch of jokers, yeah. I, I've never yeah, heard, yeah, yeah. I never heard of a bunch of these people. I never heard of Spiral. I had never heard of Stonewall. I had never heard of Longshot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This, this story is full of, a, like, a full gamut of people who are, like, Highly recognizable, like the Wolverines. Mid recognizable, like the the Destinies or the Dazzlers, and then actual characters that barely really saw a lot of uh, page time in general in the comics. So most people would even be like, be like, who's Stonewall? Stonewall is an obscure character that was only in the comic for a little bit. Same with like uh, the, the Commando and Silver Saber. A lot of the Freedom Force. They don't even kind of say like, their got... names. Commando. I didn't even know what his name was. That's the guy. I'm yeah, right yeah, yeah. 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 Um and so yeah, they they they're they're deep cuts at this point. Um but uh it you know, I'm glad you recognize some people. Uh, I'll give, you know, I, I I'll let's talk a little bit about why why I picked this for you because you didn't give me well, a ton of Let's be clear. You gave me three options. I picked this one. Yeah. You did. You did. That's what I was I was going to oh. point out that uh I gave you a few options. I tried to give you uh I even tried to give you like a gambit story because I wanted to connect to your your Cajun. I felt like that um, was that you were giving me a softball, and I wanted fast pitch, baby. <laughs> People like gambit. I I got I got <clears throat> I got um, remarks recently that I haven't covered gambit enough, and so uh, luckily he showed up in the most recent episode that posted, but he wasn't the main character, much much less like the the title character. But, yeah, but I, I like gambit I fine, but, but oh sorry, you go you go you go. You tell me why this is tailored to me. No, I mean I I threw this out because well, this is not 
tailored to you in a way that like the story itself uh, was necessarily something that like, you know, I thought was made for you, Joel. But like it is the fall of the mutants is considered one of the pinnacle moments of X-Men history. There's, you know, the tentpole moments like the Dark Phoenix and and, uh, uh, you know, this this kind of stuff is is those things like this was a big crossover event. Um, I thought you would enjoy it in certain ways because you are a uh liberal-minded educated (laughs) fellow and the the materials in this story are like unfortunately evergreen because this was at the culmination of really building up in the x-men comics this ongoing you know bigotry and hatred towards mutants in fact um i'll have to show this to you later I, i i i just recalled as i was doing research that when they were prepping marvel when they were prepping for this uh building up to this crossover event they were giving out at the comic book shops these little postcards and they were little postcards that kind of like looked like a like neighborhood warning kind of things or like psa kind of stuff and it simply had a picture of four kids four faces four portraits of four kids all different uh races and genders and all that kind of thing and at the top of it it said it's 1987 do you know what your children are and um, I think I saw something like that in was it was that was there something like that in 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 here or I don't I feel like I saw oh, something like that online recently or maybe it was in in one of these issues where somebody had I that. don't recall <clears throat> I, I don't recall if it was in the issues it might have been but it, these, these were postcards they gave away and one and the the fourth kid in the line who actually has a drawing of Franklin Richards who's the son of uh, uh, Mr. Fantastic Reed, Invisible Reed. Woman uh, Reed Richards and Susan Storm um and uh written in red the only color on the postcard written in red is muty over yeah. the that picture um I, and so like it even it they even um marvel even uh, i think on the back of the postcard was a uh registration form if you were a mutant you could register and send it into marvel um and so it was a whole marketing campaign what did you get I don't know what Besides, they what like, the trouble from the government or something. <laughs> I think it was just like you know a fun activity to get people engaged in the in the kind of like the theater of this story. The original um, ARG. Yeah, I mean, really. Um, so I thought you know that would be something that would pick your interest as well as it just being a good story and. It's also just like an interesting take on the crossover event. Chris Claremont, he actually recently, um, the writer of this of this particular one, that we read the Uncanny X Men part of the Fall of Mutants. He recently was in at the uh, this presentation that Marvel had for the 70th anniversary of the X Men, mm-hmm. and when asked about crossover events, which I know you're you're not um, wholly uh, a stranger to of that concept, he actually groaned and said like doing crossover events was the worst thing they ever did because it's that that kind of. Um, a spectacle you do that once it works you have to keep doing it over and over again to get people to keep coming back because it's like the big moment uh, you understand that from a content creation side if you make something successful you're most likely going to be asked to do it over and over yeah, again when are you, right? when's your next collab when's your next collab yeah. is this yeah. technically a crossover uh, uh, a smosh and rooster teeth crossover episode john <laughs> this is not a rooster teeth production this is a john risinger production Heck yeah Heck uh yeah. So this is a John and Smosh. How about that, uh, if anything? Um, but they this this crossover event was odd in that it did take place in X Factor and uh, New Mutants, which which was two other X titles happening in time. But there's no actual narrative crossover. They just all three were building up to big changes for those teams and those titles by the end of the of the uh, the 
the story. Um, we read a whole story of the X-Men fighting this, uh, you know, uh, galactic creature called the adversary. But in X-Factor, the actual three issues that are part of the Fall of Mutants for this is actually the origin story of Archangel. Um, oh, where yeah. uh, Angel gets captured by uh, Apocalypse and transformed into his Angel of Death, and he releases his four horsemen. An episode of the cartoon that was actually adapted from this. Um, so, but, and so but that there's was... there's no X factor. There are no X factor characters in what we read. No, right. uh, X Factor was actually made up entirely of the original five X Men who were just operating under different titles. So it's like Cyclops, Jean Grey, uh, Angel, Iceman, and Beast. Gotcha. Um, and so that's what that was going on in there. And there's a whole other story in new mutants. So this is, a, I've always wanted to do the fall of mutants for an episode, but this was, I thought I'd have to like get somebody to read nine issues of a comic. So I was like, I could not get anybody to do that. But when I found out all I had to do is make you read three issues. Like, okay, well, that's, that, that was, I was confused. We, and we texted about this where when I, I do my research as well. And I looked it up and it looked like there were three issues, each of three titles, I guess. And yes. I, this date, this record date crept up on me so quickly <laughs> that if I had, if I had my act together, I absolutely would have wanted to read all nine because I want, I the love universe story. Building. I love universe. It's, it is one of my favorite things when I read a work of narrative fiction is what's the universe? How does it work? What are the rules? Like how do the characters interact? And I feel like. I feel like this is a contained story. There's yeah. like certainly like the 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 intro references a bunch of junk that I don't I'm not aware of and will never be aware of. And yeah. a bunch of characters that it reference things that similarly like whatever. But at the same time, as a story, I feel like there are elements that that could be fleshed out that I, w- I would have been interested in reading. And I might, while my month long subscription to Marvel <laughs> is free. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I, I encourage you because even the issue that happens after this is the the result of of the X Men dying and being resurrected at the end and what happens with that. So maybe you might be interested, <gasps> or if you want to read the issue before, you can find out like, hey, what was Juggernaut doing? And in fact, um, I could read either of those. You could. Um, the other reason why we read this was that you, I simply said it was like it was very eighties, yep. and you were down for something that was very eighties. It's. Uh, so I don't like the 80s. I am a child of the 80s. I am I am the oldest millennial that strides the earth. Um, but <laughs> that like I don't have fond memories of the 80s. For me, it was oh, you're dressed. You're the, the, the clothes that you're wearing look uncomfortable and they look like they smell. Your hair looks uncomfortable and looks like it smells. Uh, <laughs> your car looks uncomfortable and it looks like it smells. And so for me, this was more of a um, it was a test of my tolerance. Yeah, of yeah. the eighties. I, I get that. Luckily, it wasn't. It was a. Uh, it was the vibe of the eighties, but wasn't a uh, reeking of like eighties referential content. Although, if you do read the X Factor portion of this, the one of the, the themes that's going on all across these at the same time is the Mutant Registration Act, which is what those postcards were all about. In yeah. fact, at the bottom of those postcards said, "Paid for by citizens in support of the Mutant Registration." And Act. and that's referenced in here too. I think uh, at one right, right. point they say, like, "But oh, in we registered the way or you know, whatever." Yes, but in X Factor, there's a great panel where there's a big screen of a TV in the background of like a scene they're all talking about, and on the TV is just a big image of Ronald Reagan signing the Mutant Registration Act. Perfection. 
there was there there was a there was a Dallas a Dallas reference I think um at the beginning yeah a, a huge portion of the of this story takes place in Dallas and I thought oh that's fortuitous oh I mean you've I'll, spent time in Texas well no 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 uh, uh, um uh when he when when Colossus is talking to uh I've got, I've also got the 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 my my iPad here and I'm scrolling through um, yeah yeah uh the when he's taught when Colossus is in Edinburgh at the beginning and he's talking to little Scottish kids um. He says, "Oh, uh, that Colossus doesn't sound like J.R. Ewing or Max Headroom, and that that <laughs> Dallas reference and the Max Headroom <laughs> reference that hit me very hard." I love it. They they don't do enough of that anymore because they try not to like place the comics and stories into the into time because the t- the sliding time scale is so bizarre because the X Men have been around for seventy years, yeah. but like. Cyclops has been like in his late twenties, early thirties for seventy years. He's a very—it's the Simpsons problem. That's just because James uh, Marsden looks amazing. <laughs> he does. He does. Um, but I love it when you—I read these old comics and they—they they have like faces of very recognizable people or, or references that are very dated. It's fun. It's like it's a little uh, bit I mean, of a, one of my favorite things. I mean, I did read Watchmen. I love Watchmen. You know, I mean, I. I appreciate Watchmen, which is which is very historically referential. Very historically referential, yeah. And the and the and just the 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 Nixon thread of like yeah. teasing out how he became pre- like president for life or you know his yeah. fifth term or whatever it was is was uh, was fun. I love alternate timelines. Yeah, it's fun. Same here. Um, and so I the question does arise of like why was this? Why did they do this event? What was the reason? And it's simply that I think it was just one of those moments where Claremont wanted to build to big changes. He wanted to do something different with the X-Men. He wanted to do something different with a lot of the titles, especially this, the flagship title, Uncanny X-Men. So it made sense to kind of just do a big old crossover event that would uh, get everybody hyped about all three titles. So even if you weren't super into the new mutants, but you loved Uncanny X-Men, maybe you'll check out new mutants because they're doing a crossover. Was there any, Um, was there any part of it, you know, to, to, to circle back, to some of these like C-list mutants that we referenced at the beginning, was any part of it just sheer? Hey, let's bring back this character. See if people like uh, Stonewall or whatever. <laughs> I it, it was it wasn't as much that, but it was like you definitely uh, they did something in this that is I think fun about X Men comics is that I mean X Men the X Men universe has as many characters as the rest of the Marvel universe combined essentially because during like around the 80s and into the 90s uh the x-men it was like after they came back in the 1970s the x-men were the the top title for marvel for forever and so like we said a second ago if you do something well they're going to ask you to do it over again they kept asking for more and more titles and so at certain points like there are six to seven x-men titles being released on a monthly basis um and so that op- opens up an opportunity for a lot of different characters and so this was a story that just allowed them to have a lot of different a big clash of a lot of characters uh, there's a theme in this story that involves you know a game of chess yes. and so like in a game of chess like there's there's so many you know pieces on the board and this was kind of that kind of fun opportunity to get all of freedom force and all of the x-men and even an extra few extra people involved so it's just a big you know, big cast. People love a big cast because you get to see everybody you like and then give some time for some other lesser characters you may not get to see as much. I, I, I want to get into the plot uh, and because I have a ton of questions um, that only sure. you have the answer to. But before I do, I do, I, I, 
The year is 1987, 88, what is it? 87. 1987, yeah. In, well, they, it, it was released in, I think, 1988, but they referenced 1987. Um, and what you're telling me is there are seven X-Men titles coming out monthly. Maybe Who's not doing by that this... much buying. Like, <laughs> who is this marketed towards? Who's got that much time and money on their hands? <laughs> well, you're talking to one of them. Um, <laughs> although, no, I at, when I was young, I definitely didn't have the money to buy every single title of in every single month. I I bought only what I my allowance could afford in like the '90s. Um, it's not until like later on when I got my own money that I just started, you know, buying too much stuff. And then the proliferation of access to the stuff on the internet made it so I can just read everything. Um, it wasn't so much like who was going to buy all of them. It's just, they had that much of a demand for X-Men comics. They could sell them that they were like, okay, we can, this person can have a spinoff. Like Wolverine can hold his own title. Let's just have a Wolverine book. And so like, that's how that happened. Um, they wanted money. Money, please. Um, <laughs> all right, wait. All right, so, but, all, right, all right, questions. So, plot. Please. Well, before I before I get your questions, I'm going to go over some some historical stuff that might answer at least some of the, like, context of what was happening prior to the story so that those who read it get a little context okay, as well. Okay, sure, yeah. Um, so, basically, we got over, we already went over the Mutant, Mutant Registration Act had just been signed into law, which is essentially a thing where the government was making all of mutants register because they consider them, like, weapons of mass destruction. Um, so, very fascist, you know, government kind of stuff. Um, a, a, you know, a common theme in the X-Men. But a result of that was that uh, certain mutants could uh, sign up to work for the government. And that's where Freedom Force comes into play. Mystique was actually leading the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, right. you know, a villain team. They got caught, but they made a deal, you know, like a, a, like a, a, plea, a bargain. Yeah, bargain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they teamed up with a human named Valerie Cooper, who's a, a, a government worker. And they like, okay, we'll pardon you, and you know, uh, you know, re, you know, wash your records clean if you'll work for us, and you'll hunt down bad actors. And so that's why they're acting this way. While Mystique is almost always like on the other, the wrong side of the law, this was a short time where Freedom Force was her paycheck and way of staying out of a uh, prison. Would you say that um, it was a squad? Um, that was bent on. Um, what's the word? What's the word? Yeah, 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 yeah. Unaliving. Um, <laughs> they. It's very much that theme. It's that this is not. I actually don't. I. I'd have to look to see if like what came first, Suicide, you know, Squad or uh, uh, Freedom Force or or even like the. In fact, X Factor, the other title, was originally a government team. Is what their title, their their original uh, origins were. But they they kind of went independent by this time. Um, but that's why if you read this, you're like, I don't understand why Mystique's on the side of the good and everyone's there, you know, booing. Yeah, I mean, like, look, I'm not a, I'm not a total idiot. Like, there there are enough context clues where I was like, okay, she's she's referenced the fact that she's working for the government. I get the mutant registration thing that's been referenced a few times. I can put like that kind of stuff. Like, like again, like I like universe building. Well, I can put one and two together there. I think. Let me give you some context then about some of the more confusing characters like the uh, the D- the adversary and Roma and the shaman, uh, Cheyenne shaman, uh, they reference as uh, Naze. There, are, there um, are three characters that I had the most question about and you, you've hit two of them so far, <laughs> but not the third one. So yeah, Ooh. go, go. I, okay. I'm curious who you, now that you know I had three characters, I'm curious who the third <laughs> one is, but please, please. Okay. Go, you go. So- 
all that had happened prior when they why they were showing up to the Eagle Plaza in Dallas, the why the X Men were showing up there is that they're they were looking for Storm and Forge. Now previously, Forge, who also had been working for the the U.S. government voluntarily building them weapons, had made a a gun that could take away the powers of mutants. Uh, it was meant to be used on Rogue. It accidentally got used on Storm. So Storm, for about actually almost two years of publication had no powers. How incredibly boring must that have been for people who like Storm? It it probably was quite frustrating in certain ways. In other ways, it's impressive that they continue to write her as an impressive character. Like, that Storm is powerful even without her powers as as a written character. And I I think that's impressive. Put a pin in that because I want to get back to that later. Yes. Um, And so along the lines of those stories... So Eagle Plaza is is Forge's like you know base, but it's all messed up when they get there, and that's because previously they had all fought this like demon horde called the Dire Wraiths, and that was where Forge and his shaman uh, teacher Naze they fought, and Naze was killed at that fight. During that fight, when Naze was killed, a a demon, a Dire Wraith duplicated him and then that demon mm-hmm. succumbed to the adversary's influence and so that's why the adversary was using his body john um, because Maze, yes <laughs> you know that happens it happens yeah. um basically Naze and the the cheyenne tribe have been preparing for forever to fight the adversary in fact they had prepared been preparing forge that's why when the cheyenne show up later on they're like oh we have our own warrior we've been training yep and so that's how, why how much of that Maze, how much of that is are you aware is actual is there any cheyenne like mythology actual cheyenne mythology that's wrapped up in any of them? i gotta imagine i i love chris claremont i think he's a great author i don't think he was doing that much research yeah, um okay. so i i think this is uh you know, I think this is a mythology that's that's Marvel mythology. Um, and so basically, Naze wants is is a uh, or the adversary who's taken over the body of Naze, the, the dead body of Naze. He's this creature of chaos, and so he wants to cr- cause chaos. Roma is the guardian of all the dimensions and the keeper of the order, and so it's chaos versus order is the fight. And Naze knows that at the you know the 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 weakness that he has will be if storm and forge are in this fight that he has, he's preparing for. And so that's why storm and forge are in a different realm at the very beginning of the story is because he, because he tricks storm into actually, and in the body of Naze, he tricks storm into attacking forge, um, who she thought was like, he was opening up like portals for more demons. But in fact, he was trying to like seal off the dimension she attacked him, and through that attack, they got pulled into that other dimension. So that's why they're like off in like La La Land for the majority of this story. And and, um, and the adversary, his whole thing is just yeah, it's just chaos. Like he he is yeah. chaos embodied, or yeah, he is a he is a bringer of chaos, which is why Roma at the very end says we can't get rid of him entirely because he is a force of nature that is like needed for balance. Um, he's overstepped his balance. That's why he's being punished and is like going to be in like, you know, exile for a little while. Um, he's a Silicon Valley disruptor. (laughs) Yes, he is. Um, and and was he, did he exist before this run? Like was, was the adversary and Roma's like relation, like, you know, uh, adversarial relationship you know that's a good yeah i that's a good question that i actually don't know the answer for exactly although 
you did you did um it's i've i've i haven't said it in a while but i'll say it again that since i said at the beginning of making this podcast i don't know everything about it it's 70 years it's 70 years of x-men it's so much i have to even remind myself constantly of stuff um but roma is has been around for forever that's why when uh psylocke uh touches colossus and sees that image of roma in his head she knows who it is because she's originally uh, roma's originally a character from the captain britain comics which were a a british x-men title um and uh captain britain is brian braddock and his big sister is elizabeth braddock who is psylocke so she knows who roma is and because she's dealt with her in that comic so that's why she makes that connection um and yeah so Roma's I know I do know a lot know more about Roma's past. I know less about adversaries past. Okay. So So that's plot. that's so wait, so that's their that's their backstory. Now the plot yeah. is as best as let, let, let me pitch you the plot that as I understand it. I love it. So with that backstory, the adversary cr- somehow crashes Roma's dimension or fortress or t- starlight citadel the starlight citadel the place beyond places the zone beyond zones the gazebo <laughs> beyond gazebos <laughs> um which has no defenses by the way apparently he breaks through her defenses yeah i mean he says that he's like weren't you surprised i broke through our defenses we don't see them yeah. but he did I, there there's i'm sure there's a an editor's note see issue non-existent um <laughs> he breaks through he imprisons her he's yep. storm and and uh uh forge thank you <laughs> god forge yep yep i'm just i've I've only been saying that name this entire and recording I was listening john <laughs> i'm it's not like i'm throwing too many words and names at you about obscure characters you've forge never heard is a before. Noun. come on it's not a proper noun let's start there <laughs> um so his storm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but storm's a known entity <laughs> um, I just like that they're they're mostly nouns. They I are. Mean, they really uh, are mostly. They really are all <laughs> nouns. They're not names. Is, is havoc? Havoc is 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 havoc? Uh, a noun. I guess havoc is a noun. Yeah, yeah. Cry havoc and let loose the dogs. Of, yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So he's got them imprisoned on. All, it's it's Earth, but it's like a, it's a it's an Earth that is temporally now, but without people. Yes. Which we're gonna get back to. So they're off doing their thing, and they got to figure out how to get back. Yeah. Meanwhile, or if they want to stay, or if they want to stay, yeah. There's there's some debate, but it doesn't really ever feel like it's that, that they're not <laughs> that they're going to stay there. And then meanwhile, yeah. the X Men, who are led by Wolverine, again question: Why is he the leader? <laughs> I didn't know that he was a leader. I guess maybe because everybody else is gone, but he's leading the team. Uh, they're fighting the the government. Former evil brotherhood mutant people. Yep. yep. Got it. Totally get it. Um, and then a tear in the universe happens, a tear in the sky happens, and the sunlight comes yep. down and it causes chaos to reign, and there's dinosaurs, and there's Viet Cong for some reason, which, <laughs> sure, because it's the 80s. Um, yep. I'm sure, again, in the comics, I think, I guess at, at some point you see that Forge was in Vietnam, so maybe that's the time. Yes. Yes, okay. that is actually the time. It wasn't just random Vietnam, although, you know, like you said, the 80s and there could have been random Vietnam, but it was intentional Vietnam. Uh, and so they fight. It's like it's like a fun little like it's oh, it's a, it's a little it's a aperitif fight. It's a little appetizer fight. 
between like Mystique's crew and Wolverine's crew. Then this rent in the universe happens. They realize they have to work together. They infiltrate the building. Oh, and then how did we not address this up top? The greatest cameo in X-Men history happens in this book. And this is why I thought you had chosen it for me. NPR's Ooh. Neil Conan makes okay, a cameo Okay, we didn't go over that. We didn't go over that. That's right. <laughs> Neil Conan, friend of Chris Claremont. Oh, that's incredible. He, Chris wrote real life. Uh, I, can't, I can't believe I didn't like flag. I'm like, of course, Joel will know who Neil Conan is. Talk of the is nation. Uh, uh, Neil Conan, I think I think he passed away a couple years ago. But he was, oh, the really? host, he was a longtime host of Talk of the Nation. I listened to every episode for like seven or eight years, of course. I'm so glad I invited you on my show. I um, was starstruck. Yes. Neil Conan, who plays um, a re- like a, 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 he's actually, this isn't even his first appearance. His first appearance was in like a, uh, Uncanny X-Men 200, something like that, um, at the trial of Magneto, who had been captured by Freedom Force and is now on trial in front of the United Nations. Wow. So Chris Claremont, yeah, uh, real life friend of Neil Conan wrote him into the comics, and like he's and Neil Conan's like like one of those rare instances, very rare instances where an actual real life person is a like speaking role in the comic and reoccurring character. Reoccurring speaking, he's he drives the the he is he is he is the everyman stand in in the last half of the story from like the middle of. Well, I mean, he shows up in book two. Or in in issue in the second issue, which is two twenty six, I guess. Yeah. But about halfway through, he like he actually picks up a lot of dialogue, and then he's throughout the last one. It's great, Neil Conan. Yeah, magnificent. He, I mean, it was. I think he was part of a really good, you know, tool for the this this story, which was, you know, if. It's so often these battles happen, you know, uh, and their story is told afterwards. This is a rare instance where. You know, NPR of all things is with the X Men the entire NPR time and is live also with with the, with the with the video camera too. There's like a he, he's yeah. got like a camera person as well. Yeah, and and they're 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 streaming some sort of live feed to something um, that everyone is watching. Uh, but yes, oh yeah, so real, real. So they go into the building and they end up figuring out how to get into the fortress and they fight the adversary and they beat the adversary and. Then they have, but they realize they have to die in order for the adversary to to be locked away enough, but not too much. That's basically the plot. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, you you did such a good job of of summarizing. I'm sure that. I sold it. I sold everybody on reading this. Previously on X Men. Thank you for joining us on this romp through the fall of mutants with Joel Rubin. Joel is another old friend of mine who has zero knowledge of the X-Men comics, but I knew he would be a delight to have on the show with his style of commentary and analysis of pop culture media. I feel like I could do this show every single week with Joel and never get bored. Um, so I don't have news on our next guests or episodes info because I'm behind on getting that all sorted out and I'm still working on those details, but I'm looking at getting an episode about Ultimate X-Men out very soon to prep you all for the return of the Ultimate Universe coming up in present day Marvel Comics. Um, also, I was trying to get a High Evolutionary episode out. I was trying to squeak that out before Guardians of the Galaxy, but um, you know, my boring real world schedule got in the way of me doing that. So instead, I'm going to make it an extra credit episode. Uh, but please check it out on the Patreon when I post it. I guarantee you're going to want to hear who this guy is in the comics because it's 
completely different from how they portrayed him in the MCU. Again, in the most recent Guardians of the Galaxy movie, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, um, he's the, the titular villain of the movie. And somehow in the comics, he's even weirder. And I, I need you to learn about this guy because I had to learn about him to like, I was like, I got to do some research on this guy. And it is buck wild how he has affected the Marvel Universe. And I didn't even realize it until I did this deep dive. Um, you, you can, can listen, listen to that to that on, on patreon.com slash class of X and all supplemental features like extra credit are available to all of our paying patrons no matter what tier you are uh final bit of housekeeping is i was on another podcast recently that you might find interesting i guessed it on horror virgin um a horror movie podcast for both people who love horror films and those who can't watch them because they is too scaries for them um they let me pick the movie and we spent two plus hours talking about interview with the vampire the gayest not gay but absolutely gay vampire movie of all time it was fantastic go check it out it's available on on all podcast platforms they also have a patreon um horror virgin i'm hoping to have some of them on this show very soon because they seemed uh, pretty uh interested in joining me for some x-men talk Thanks again for everyone who follows us anywhere on social media and especially anyone who has rated or reviewed the show. I love you. I love the show. And I would love to get back to talking to Joel some more. So let's go. So who was, who's the other character that you didn't know enough about? I, I want to know who you think it was based on what you know now of my knowledge of the X-Men comics and who's in this i just want your guess and i'll t- i'll tell you but i just i'm just curious is it i'm trying to think of like one of the is it is it one of the x-men or freedom force or is it some it's other one of, it's one of the freedom force yeah okay is it spiral it's spiral she's so good what's her deal <laughs> so spiral is a magic wielding mutate uh, mutate is a word they use to describe people that have similarities to mutants, but they were modified after birth. Whereas a mutant is born with the genetic factor that causes them to have these abilities. Um, Spiral's also from a different dimension. Um, she's I mean, from she a, would have to be. She's got tons of arms. She actually, that's actually, you know what? You being drawn to Spiral is great because. I wanted when I was trying to think of things that would like I, I try to think of like things that c- could thematically work with my guests. For instance, uh, the last time I recorded, I recorded with Jacob Fullerton, and so I decided I wanted to pick like a space story for him that was similar to like Star Wars or Star Trek and that kind of thing, and that was fun to do. Um, and uh, so, since you are a producer, I <laughs> thought it would be really fun to try to introduce you to a character named Mojo. Um, Mojo, who was in the cartoon, and they introduced Mojo in the Mojoverse in the cartoon, is basically the lord of an entire dimension that is just entirely run by television of the most absurd nature. I have um, no recollection of this from the cartoon, but yeah, please it, continue. It, it's basically, imagine if like the the lead people of tv channels of like of tv stations were not just the leads of the tv station but like the one who led the most popular tv channel he was the like tyrannical overlord of the entire world um and that's mojo he's this giant yellow blob of a creature um that uh sits upon this kind of like a mechanism like platform that has like big old spider legs that come out and he that's how he gets around almost like job of the hut on a platform oh i kind of do remember this a little bit okay Okay. and uh so from his dimension 
actually there's two characters in this comic that are from his dimension and that's why spiral has a little moment with long shot he also right. comes from the mojo verse um and so, so the, are th- these are all people who are like they're in this universe but this universe is like I mean, are you drawing a parallel to TV shows or is it like a TV show universe and they're characters in this show and he's like the producer of this universe? Basically, Mojo is the producer of his universe and he becomes, in his stories, This I want, I was like, I wanted to get a Mojo story because I think, I think Joel would really think it'd be funny to follow this kind of stuff because he gets infatuated with the idea of reality TV starring the X-Men. And so he does whatever he can to not only like stream footage of the X-Men to his universe because his audience loves it but also create like you know uh difficult situations for them that there's drama and adventure and in fact during uh so psylocke is i said her name is elizabeth braddock she's originally uh a a uh blonde british woman um but uh she gets the way that she looks the way she does that everyone thinks of her from like the 90s like you know japanese ninja look um is that she gets captured by Mojo. Spiral, with some other help, manages to switch her body with a Japanese assassin named Kanan. And so Psylocke gets, or Elizabeth gets trapped in this body for decades in in publication history. It wasn't until just recently. Okay, okay. She just recently got it was somebody like they kept her in there because people loved the the, the design. In, in, in fact, Jim Lee drawing her really solidified it. But it's like it's obviously problematic for a one of the only representations of a Japanese woman in the comics is she's actually like not even originally Japanese. She's a she's a white British woman. Um, And so they finally swapped bodies back just recently in the last few years. Um, But along with that swap that Spiral did where they put her into this uh, ninja's body is they also swapped her eyes out with mechanical eyes that constantly streamed to the Mojoverse. And so they were just watching Psylocke vision in Mojoverse. Um, And uh, so, yeah, Spiral is actually like the head assistant of Mojo, but she's trapped in this dimension at this point. And I guess she was uh, hard up for some, I don't know, money or American anything like that. American dollars. Yeah. yeah like, so she what? joined uh, Mystique's Brotherhood and Freedom Force. Um, but she is, uh, she's, she's definitely got a wide gamut of powers, which she displays constantly in the, even the three issues we read, where she can teleport, where she can uh, cast magic spells that fuse the, the mask of the destiny mask. onto Dazzler's face with a knife. Um, yeah, she's, she's all, she's, she's got all kinds. She's very witchy. Um, she's, she's, she's very, I love her design. She's got, you know, the, the multiple arms and the boots with the fur and the, one the, of her arms is, I can't, I couldn't tell if it was like Colossus's Colossus's, the art, <laughs> uh, like, like his arm steel yes yeah, steel arm or if it was like a gauntlet but there's yeah she's got a lot going on yeah and her she's wearing she's got, fur boots i don't know <laughs> it's great it's it's so camp it's so camp it's, and I, oh it's it is high camp yeah and, and and she also like she's crazy too like, yeah she's, she's crazy she uh i think at one point in her story like uh wolverine uh he like accuses her of being insane and she's like duh of course i'm not sane like she's like just totally this this witchy insane person i I love her so much i'm i'm definitely drawn she's she's a she's a fan of the she's she's a favorite of the queers i can say this Um, oh interesting okay is uh, hey is is stonewall a queer favorite as well (laughs) 
Stonewall should be, considering the naming that I don't know if they were if they understood what they were doing when they named uh stonewall I can't that can't imagine um <laughs> stonewall they, yeah is a character i don't know a ton about but i do know that there's been discussions about stonewall's like name and how uh um interesting that is um, i've literally never heard of him before this before yeah reading this yeah. not like uh, a lot of these characters uh like were killed soon after this and really haven't come back in the publication since then um p- characters like silver saber commando uh stonewall they're not regulars in x-men comics the the blob is a regular and spirals a regular and mystique and destiny are definitely regulars. and mystique and destiny are obviously also uh queer icons um yeah of course there's uh, the, with, with the blob like can we talk about the blob for a second would love to please tell me um first of all i again I only, i'm only familiar with him from a mobile mobile game a match a match three mobile game but he's so much fun here he's like he's kind of an idiot he's <laughs> like he's gigantic he he's wearing a unitar like this huge yes. singlet yes um and he there's a there's a moment in the first in two in two two five um, where he's he <laughs> he crushes he sits on Wolverine's face he just jumps up in the air and sits yeah. on Wolverine's face and there's a couple things first of all it's very funny what happens yes. um, it's also um, the art of that moment I, I love it it's it's a whole page it's it's not a, it's not a full page spread but it's like the art of him. There's like a close-up of him, and then he's surfing like a wave of debris from Avalanche, and he jumps up high. And then the art of him falling is told through letters. Yeah. It's just very, very... The framing is very cool. The thum, yeah. And I... Because I I read it two or three times, because I wanted to make sure I got the story. (laughs) Um, And... I love it so much. I, I think it was only the second or third read where I was like, oh, that... There's... Oh, that's really clever the way that they wrote it out and the it, art, and it's very cool. It's very fun when they have fun with the paneling and the layout and designs um, of the of the art, and I love when they do that. Even the 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 succession of panels and near the end of the issue where Wolverine spikes him. I, yes. I, you talk about the comedic, like they, they spent time to make, you know, the panels of the different expressions of blob as he realizes adamantium claws have been inserted into his buttocks. Um, it's it's very fun. I I um I do love the Blob in this uh comic a lot. They they had fun with him. Um, uh, Fred Dukes, good character. Oh, is that his name is Fred Dukes? Fred Dukes. Um, can, can you tell he was he was designed in the nineteen sixties? <laughs> um, I mean, they all were. All right, all right. So. I'm so, I'm I feel like I'm driving your podcast. I right love now. I love this. I'm I'm sitting in the passenger seat just enjoying the ride. So so I want to circle back on another one of my questions. Why I didn't know that Wolverine ever led the yeah. X-Men? That's a good that's a good call out. Um in fact, he hasn't regularly ran the X-Men although it's it's been a couple occasions, but um essentially uh the leader of the X-Men was Storm. Um who had uh who was leading the X-Men in the absence of Cyclops and then uh when Storm lost her powers uh she bequeathed her role to uh the an- another senior member of the team which is Wolverine and so that's why at this point Wolverine is leading 
Um, but typically, it's been a, a Cyclops or a Cyclops and Storm uh, leading kind of a story. Um, but like a, the 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 original five X Men are go off gallivanting in a in a separate team that is not associated with Xavier or anything like that. So it's the Storm story, but she didn't have her powers, so she's just not as useful. So so he they basically like called him up and they were like, hey, hey Logan. <laughs> you, you got you got you gotta take these guys under your gotta take you these gotta kids st- step up pal step up yeah okay. i mean i mean other than uh colossus uh i guess out of and, commission at the beginning like he's 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 like recovering oh yeah from. he's i i uh, there's actually explanation of that he actually got severely injured in a in a story called the mutant massacre prior to this and um was through certain means able to heal himself but through the injuries he now is like stuck in his metallic form and staying in a human in the human nature of, of his body took like a lot of effort which is why like early on in that in the beginning of the first issue he's like kind of a uh, sweating and straining to look human but then the just the the sound of a firecracker sets him off and he immediately turns right. into giant you know metal and it actually is a problem near the end of the story when they're all doing the little lasso trick with long shot into the uh, the wind wall um which is absurd um but i love yeah. it and yeah yeah like the physics of a lot of this stuff i mean <laughs> yeah it was quibble. it's comic books but that still. was that was like that was it, like, comics often try to make up science and and stay a little like try and be a little grounded obviously they're absurd in their own nature but they try not to play too much you know with physics but this was one of the moments where it was like that's a cartoon idea throw the man with hollow bones attached to a rope with everyone else and the wind will totally grab and, him and he's lucky enough that he can navigate through the wind and everybody i don't yeah yeah that well his yeah. power is luck as well yeah no his... yeah yeah no, i understand i mean listen 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 i of all people understand the power of luck i'm an EVP <laughs> of content somehow <laughs> <laughs> this is very very true you you know even in content the luck that is involved there yeah i'm, um, I'm, I'm the long shot of digital media baby i love that uh, but during that moment, uh, Colossus knows that if he stays in his metal form, it won't work. And so he has to like strain to turn into a human so that the wind will pick him up and they'll all be taken to the Starlight Citadel. Right. Exactly. All right. Another question I have for you. Love it. There is a human that's hanging out with the X-Men. Oh, yes. Thank Madeline you. Madeline Pryor? What's her deal? Is that Madeline, that's, Madeline yeah. Pryor. Um, okay. My compliments to your notes. Um, fantastic question. I'm telling Mad- you, I'm not doing. I'm not doing this with notes. I'm. Um, uh, uh, I have the power of of um, concentration that only comes from having three children. At this point, <laughs> do you have three kids at this point, John? It's been so much time <laughs> since I've seen you. <laughs> oh, wait, you had twins, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Okay, that's why. My, my, I think my brain documented two instances of like of pregnancy, and I'm like, and it it hadn't uh, registered that one of those uh, added two bodies to your house. Um, so Madeline Pryor, great question, is an is a very interesting and tragic character. Um, she was originally introduced as a replacement love interest for Scott Summers, Cyclops, after Jean Grey went through the Phoenix and Dark Phoenix saga and at the end of that dies, uh, sacrifices herself to to save the day. Um, so Madeline Pryor was introduced as a new love interest. Um, 
her story is a little tragic because there was like you know and there's original plans for what this character was going to be but plans changed and they retconned her as a clone of Jean Grey um, but at this point I don't think we're privy to that in the comics however we are privy to the fact that um, before everybody knew that she was a clone everything like that her and Scott got married um, he actually married Madeline Pryor his first wife in fact um, they had a what? baby um, the baby actually grew up to be the cyborg telekinetic character Cable who oh, you might I didn't prob- I know yeah I'm familiar with Cable I didn't realize that that okay all right yeah sure Sure. So, but he's still a baby at this point. Um, and but the the real sad story is that the the great tragedy of Scott Summers is that uh, while he was married to Madeline Pryor and had a brand new newborn, shortly after that, Gene was resurrected and came back. Um, he sort of abandoned his wife and kid. Oh, um, no, Scott. it's 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 complicated, but not good. Um. And while he was, does he come he, off? Does he come off like a scumbag? A bit, yes. Um, and but while he was, a, they, him and Madeline Pryor were having, you know, difficulties with their marriage. And then when Gene came back around, like he was like, "I have to go, you know, see what ha- what what I have to go see her." And Maddie basically tells him, like, "If you leave Scott Summers, I don't come back because I won't be here." Um, well, he leaves to go meet up with Jean and then eventually goes back to find his wife again. But um, she has uh, her and the baby were kidnapped and basically their records of ever living there or having been at that hospital of that city that were expunged by a villain called Mr. Sinister who stole the baby. Um, and so Maddie doesn't have the baby anymore and is not uh, Scott's wife anymore and is kind of a. Uh, hanging with the x-men team at this point which is why she uh is like down to clown with this idea at the end when they get resurrected to restart their lives somewhere else without people knowing it because she's got a bit of a tragic story that she's fine with leaving behind oh no she straight up has she she says she's got a husband and a kid i think okay so they're still married but he is but um the baby is missing that's why I think she says, like, I hope Scott can find Nathan um, oh, at some okay. point. Um, but, yeah, at this point, Scott has abandoned her, um, and she's hanging out with Scott's old friends. That's that's sad. It's also, like, it, it doesn't speak well of either of them, let's be honest. Like, he, no. he abandons her, but then she, like, I don't know. It's a little... It's, it get, it gets worse for her because yeah. shortly after this story was a crossover event called Inferno where she succumbs to uh, the wiles of a demon from the dimension of Limbo and uh, becomes the ruler of Limbo and dons the title of the Goblin Queen and basically takes That's over New York with demons. Very cool. Um, which, again... Uh, I think to no surprise of anybody, another uh, queer icon, <laughs> like as far as like a, a just a, a, a beloved by the queers. We love crazy women with witchy magic. Um, yeah. So uh, so Ma- so Madeline becomes the goblin goblin queen. queen. Yes. Well, um, she's a lot more interesting now than she was when I read this thing, and she was <laughs> she kept popping up, and I was like, oh right, she's just a person. Okay. Who's this sidekick human they have? Yeah, yeah, like never explained. Why are you here? prior or a current wife still of scott summers um i guess their marriage ended when i think madeline 
dies at the end of Inferno or gets banished to to uh, Limbo at, at the end of it. I can't recall exactly. How does she get into Limbo? I don't. You know what? Different different story. Let's focus here. Let's focus on the fall of mutants. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing so good so far you, you already did a great job of like summarizing the whole story um the was there any other parts of the story uh that were confusing to you um before we move on to other things to talk about no i don't think confusing i think i mean like there's some stuff that i just sort of chalked up to weirdness like when they show up in dallas before there's a hole in the sky it's snowing yeah. for some reason i don't know why um, I I have to assume maybe something that happened with Forge's office building or whatever. They were they were they were looking for Forge, and so they decided to go back to his old building to see if there was evidence of him being in there. Which is why they try to enter it, and Wolverine gets shot with all the lasers. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get I, I get that. I'm curious why it was snowing in Dallas before there was a hole in the sky. I'm and, not quite sure. Other than it, ha- it can snow in Dallas, right? It can. I mean, but not in snow- the summer. They do say it's in the summer. Oh, then then I then I would translate just- that as part of the adversary's uh, chaos already starting, okay. um, because there's so many moments of like his chaos causing certain things. It's like um, destiny should be able to see the future, but because of the adversary's chaos, she can't see beyond. Um, the end of the X-Men. Yeah, when when they're in the building, right. And when Spiral tries to undo the spell, she can't take it off because there's too much chaos going on. Um, Um, Before I get to my critiques, I I have, again, just some some small questions. Okay. Um, Are Psylocke and Dazzler in a relationship? (laughs) I I love that that's what you picked up on because the Claremont era is rampant with a editorial kibosh that said they couldn't be explicit about any non-heterosexual relationships. But Chris Claremont absolutely queer-coded a lot of the characters for years. And in fact, even in this story, they got pretty close to being explicit about Destiny and Mystique's uh, relationship because like, they call each other dear, and even this Destiny at one point is talking to Mystique and is referencing Rogue and saying our adopted daughter. Um, but yeah. they could never, they I'm were un- sure that they was were unable to, was like, okay, sure, yeah. yeah. And they just, it, for years, people who knew how to read into these things, like what you're doing right now, were like, these are queer characters, right? But they couldn't be explicit about it. Um, Psylocke just god maybe a year or two ago got to be canonized as being bisexual um and has a girlfriend now and she's great um and so i love that you're trying to pick you're picking up on psylocke having a little bit of a queer vibe with well there was a lot of like between psylocke and dazzler there was a lot of where she goes i'm going where you can't separate us pal yeah Um, yeah 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 i mean it's a lot of that um but Dazzler is the the joke about Dazzler though is that um, all the X Men are queer except for Dazzler. Dazzler's the one straight <laughs> on the team. <laughs> uh, sh- sure. Um, not a question about Dazzler. Just an observation. Her power is is yes, I get it. It's light, but it's like it's finger guns. She does finger guns. <laughs> that, that's, that's her thing. That, that's kind of how they were manifesting it at the time. Specifically, her power. She turns sound into, into light. Into light. Right. And she's been able to to exercise that in much more creative ways. But yes, 
Uh, a lot of this is just her doing finger guns, which is why then when she has the gold mask on, she can't do anything because she can't see where to point her finger guns. If I mean, look, if I had a power as cruddy as Dazzler's, I guess I would try and do finger guns to make myself feel <laughs> cool about it. But woof. She's a fun character because uh, written into her characters, she's also a musical artist. And so she's often found using her mutant powers in the, the loud sounds of a concert to create light shows and create a spectacle and that kind of thing. So she's a performer. She's a performer. She gives him the old razzle dazzle. She does. She gives him the old razzle dazzler. Um, and uh, she actually will later on have a relationship with uh, Longshot, of all people, who's actually in this issue. Um I don't see but, that happening. He's he's also. I mean, <laughs> uh, that's a fluid boy, right? He's that's a real fluid. fluid. He's, he's real fluid. I mean, yeah, yeah. But, but it's it's it's. I mean, listen, it's great. Here, all right. Let's. Uh, this is the part of John's show where he forces <laughs> him into the critique of the thing he just read. No, please tell me. <laughs> um, the art I give, the art I give full credit. I love the art. It's beautiful. Uh, a lot of Beautiful. it is is like is you know 80s styles which i don't love yeah um, and limitation of the printing and even like you're you're reading it digitally so the the scans absolutely but the the layouts the um uh the the action is is pretty is very it's quite clear which i you know again i, I don't have a huge history of comics but i feel like a lot of times when they're when they're going through fights the action's not you can't tell what's happening um some of the uh some of the like expressions and the line work i think is particularly great all credit to um mark silvestri thank you mark silvestri incredible job and again the layouts and the panels i i i particularly like i really like i you know i for some reason oh I was I went down a Mad Magazine hole again recently because uh, Al Jaffe died just uh, last week, and um, totally unrelated to to um, to this. But I went down a, a Mad Magazine hole and I was reading about one of the artists that they that Mad Magazine worked with named Wally Wood, and he had um, these rules or like this layout, like uh, uh, a um, a poster when he was working, I think at Marvel on how to draw panels that um, that always work, I think is yeah. what it was called. And I was really reminded of the thing I had just read last week when I was reading through this because a lot of, like, the layout and, again, the just the way that they frame the action and the blocking of the characters, it, you know, it's it, 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 was, it was very graceful. I, I liked it a lot. That's a good word for it. I appreciate that. That's good. Um, that said, a full third to a half of the story was terrible. I had every time they cut to Storm and Forge. <laughs> it was the drag. It's the worst. Yeah. Oh, it's these circular conversations. They say the same thing over and over again. It doesn't make any sense. She, they're in this primordial modern version of Earth without humans. And they're in, they say they're in Yosemite or Yellowstone or something like that. And she goes, there are no cars and no planes. She and goes she to no Africa powers. somehow. And she goes to Africa and she's back in a year, John. <laughs> How'd she get there? There's no, like, that, that bugged that. that Maybe it was like Pangea. Out of me. No, they, she specifically says, <laughs> she's, she looks at the stars and she's like, 
these are the stars of a modern earth, but the only light comes from fires or something like that. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, it's I, plot hole for sure. Uh, it's yes. not even a plot hole. It's just, it, it's just lazy writing, John. Which is, it's, it's actually a little bit tragic because I, I have to agree with you. Uh, was Chris Claremont, great writer, but often found to sometimes be overly verbose with his, uh, with his prose. Um, but, uh, and I think that, that subplot is a good example of that where you talk about where they're just, they're really talking in circles and, and really, really overly flowery language. Um, but it's extra tragic because like I said, that had been, that's the two year buildup to in the second issue of this, of two, two, six, she finally gets her powers back and can call upon the lightning and ride the wind. So it was like a big moment for storm fans. Um, but in the midst of this story, yeah, the stuff going on with freedom force and the X-Men, is just so much more interesting because it's just a lot more colorful. There's a lot more going on, you know, even the interactions between them and like the humans, like the NPR reporters or like the police officers, it's just more interesting than whatever, you know, Forge is doing to create solar panels in the forest. <laughs> um, and to that end, I think my biggest, my biggest critique or the thing I realized the most, and I'm going to say something that's going to make people hate me. I love it. Say it. I think Storm's a boring character. Oh, I know. hot take. I like, she has no character in this. Mm. She, she, she has, all, like she wants her powers back and she i guess something happened where she you know she was a goddess to some people i guess for a while and but she was unapproachable and she didn't have emotion and so she needed her emotion back and her powers and blah 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 but so like she that she had a want but she didn't have a character i don't know it's, i think it's actually interesting you say that because uh, i would have to say i would i would agree to a certain extent for this this part of Storm's story, because you're just reading a, a small window into sure. her story, and you're reading her written by, you know, a very important writer, but one writer of many who have now written for her. And throughout the years, Chris Claremont included, there's been a lot of attempts at making a part of Storm's story a a love interest with a man of some kind. Forge was one of the original ones. Later, way later on in modern comics, they married her off to the Black Panther, and she was actually the queen of Wakanda. Um, and everyone's critique has always been whenever they have Storm pining for or dating or involved with a you know a male romantic love interest she's at her most boring and she's at her weakest because it's it never feels right for this character to be like enamored by those things or or in or, or just distracted by them it's when she's independent uh she's she is she's in charge as a leader um she's a, a you know a matriarchal character that she's much more interesting much more you know, bold and worthwhile. Um, so yeah, I, I'll have this is it. I have to take your word for it. I yeah. really do because the representations of storm that I have consumed. And again, I don't, I, she wasn't one of the original X-Men. I don't think. Right. No, she was not. I don't know when she was right. Like when she was introduced, but 1975. 40, okay. So 50, almost 50 years of this character, which I am obviously wholly on, not wholly unfamiliar with, but pretty much unfamiliar with. But my representations of her are this, the movies where e even Halle Berry was like, I don't know how to play this this person, and you could right. tell like she has no character. Um, the comics where she is sort of this inapproachable, 
yeah, like Storm person who does again like no per like Beast has a personality, Colossus has a personality. Like, what are her interests? What does she like? What does she do? <laughs> like, what are her I, what are her picadillos? <laughs> <laughs> there was a very interesting era of Storm story, and actually, it was during her depowered area era where she left the X Men to move to New York and actually kind of uh, shacked up with a uh, a female best friend who they might have spent way too much time with each other, but we couldn't be explicit about it. This is the time when she, uh, that's when she dons the, the Mohawk style, um, which uh, was, you know, quite uh, daring at the time. Um, and I, I feel like she's more interesting during that, but I, I also got to agree with you. She has not been portrayed well in the films at all. Uh, never. Um, and, uh, it's, it's just kind of sad to see a character that I think has a lot of fun and potential. Like right now she is, uh, she's, she's the lead character, lead, you know, person in a comic called X-Men Red. And it's lauded as, lauded as like one of the best X-Men comics, like of all time, um, long story short the x-men have terraformed mars it's their planet and uh storm is the queen of mars um she's the one in charge there it's very interesting modern day deja thoris yes i don't know what that reference is what are you saying deja Uh, thoris uh it's uh it's edgar rice burroughs um uh mars trilogy the princess of mars okay gotcha gotcha very good um i also just read kim stanley robinson's green uh uh red green blue mars trilogy awesome 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 that's fun you're such a nerd um yeah i this isn't the best depiction of storm it isn't um there are there are much better depictions of her and uh yeah while it's cute to see her interacting with forge in this way like you kind of like in a certain way i'm like oh i want them to be happy it's like they aren't they're not meant for each other in the long run um and they kind of they make each other boring um because they're both more interesting when they're off doing their own things even forge is much more interesting when he's just like tinkering away at too much stuff it must have been cathartic if you were a reader at this time to have her get her powers back but i mean truly a slog to get through those those pages yeah it it was a lot a lot of a lot of a lot of excessive, you know, dialogue and narrative and that kind of thing. Um, I agree. Um, it kind of made like the, if I felt like in reading it, the 225 and 227, the bookends of the story, they had much better pace and much better development. Whereas the middle, which is like the crux of a lot of the story, felt like it dragged a lot more um, than the other issues uh, yeah. when I was like rereading them. There's there's so much more meat in the second book. And so I understand that, but like- I think it's I the know, longest. Th- it's definitely the longest. I, I, I was like, I remember the first time, my first read through of this, I was reading through the second book and I was like, I feel like I've been reading this one for three times as long as the first one. And oh, you're right. It actually over. is, it's 40 pages to the 23 of the other ones. Okay. Um, yeah. So and it was an extra giant size issue, which makes sense why it kind of dra- dragged along. But it, I don't think they needed the extra pages. There was a lot of stuff that you could have like cut the fat off of and uh, moved this along a little bit more because it's, it's, it, I, before I, you know, talk about how I like the story. Other than the storm thing, like, was this generally like a story you enjoyed? Do you think it was like, uh, you know, 
boring or plain or anything like that. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I really, I very much enjoyed the, the story. I, I enjoyed the themes of the story a lot. I mean, it's why I chose this one of the three that you gave me because the way that you pitched it was yes, eighties, but also, um, you know, the X Men being not pursued. I forget exactly what you said, but they're 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 at a low point and persecuted. Public, yeah. yeah, persecuted. Yeah, and and the public doesn't like them and like. How are you know? How are they being represented, and how are they representing themselves? How are people seeing them versus how they present themselves? You know, outwardly, that was all really interesting to me. Um, you know, when they were interacting, when the when the mutants were fighting together with like the police and some of the civilians of Dallas, I thought some of those interactions were really interesting. Um, and then you could also, I think, I think I remember this. Like the adversary was like there was like a really racist Texas dude. Like, yeah. Um, but then the adversary was like, you could see a shadow of him in the Texas dude. So I, like I, all that stuff was very interesting. Um, but, uh, and, and you say that this, this, this story itself is one of the high points of X-Men mythology. Yeah, it was because, it, like, you know, uh, alongside the other stories that were happening, like X Factor, like the introduction of Archangel is such a pinnacle moment. It's also like the one of the biggest like uh, original fights of, of Apocalypse um, in the comics, who's such a big uh, villain character. Another one not portrayed very well in the movies. Um, it, that this was after the X-Men are resurrected. They then for a while, they operate out of the Outback. Um, and are operating in secrecy. And there's a whole era of the X-Men in Australia that, you know, followed after this up until um, Inferno occurs and everyone's fighting demons in New York. Um, but it was, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a big moment. Cause it was like the X-Men were dead to the world. Like so many other characters and teams would reference this later on of like the X-Men died. We saw them on TV do that to to defeat the adversary and so everybody so saw when you say that. they're operating out of australia do you mean like in secret yeah in secret in a secret base in australia okay. uh they have they have roma that's why at the end of a uh, 227 when they're like talking about it uh they they say like uh uh a next a new beginning down under um, right yeah yeah and they're all gonna go be in australia for a while okay and, and 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 operate out of the outback. So so, you, so your so you what's your what's your read on this? So that's that's my read. I genu- genuinely enjoyed it, but I, I you could take away a third of it and st- still I, w- I would have been perfectly happy. Yeah, it, 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 I think it was like maybe an unnecessary need to weave the storm and forge kind of story. I understand that like that was it, it felt like actually unnecessary because I know that they were supposed to be the the crux of the downfall of the adversary. But then they also had, the, you know, the whole Colossus thing where he wasn't supposed to be there. He wasn't part of any of the timelines that Destiny saw. He was he met Roma and didn't know it at the very beginning of yeah. the story. You know, he sketches her and she hands him like the first chess piece that's him and it's a a different chess piece than all the other ones and so like you already had that part of the plot where there was going to be a a monkey wrench in you know the gears of the adversaries you know plot um and uh you know you even already had where rogue managed to siphon off the you know the shaman uh abilities to be able to banish you know the adversaries so you probably could have gotten away with you know not having i understand that like this married with the final after two years of you know of storm getting her powers back has a lot of weight but maybe there was a uh 
a different way to go about it that was less uninteresting than that. But all in all, I, I still think it's a very fun story. I love there's so many colorful characters in this that they that they actually get they let them write as colorful characters. It's not a lot of um you know boring you know grandstanding superhero monologues yeah you know, like mystique is super fun in this yes and blob is super like again I, I i keep going back to blob but mystique is great in this and yeah. yeah well the villains have always been the basically the best part of x-men and so like there's even a great panel one of my favorite panels is uh when they're fighting off the like the dinosaurs in the galleria and yes, there where I've, I've been to that gallery. I went, that's the first place I ever went ice skating. Well, there's a reference to the gallery. And then like after that, it's like a reference to the I 35. And I'm like, I know that, <laughs> um, but there's a great panel of, you know, after long shot has saved some kids from a transverse Rex. Like it's right before Pyro's about to like scorch them with his fire. And it's just him standing there lit by the fire in his hand with this great shadowy look. And he's like, cause he's British. And it's just like, right. You are laddie buck. Oh, chum of little faith. Um, it's just like I, I I eat that up. That's so oh, yeah. fun. And 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 the other uh, the, the the old speedster. What's his name? Um, uh, Silver Saber. Yeah. Oh, Silver Saber. Why why Saber? Is he Vincer? <laughs> I, it's S A B R E. Um, so Sabre. Sabre. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I don't know why he's named that. I he's like him, Commando, and Stonewall. I know the least about them of all these characters because they are the least, you know, involved in the history of the X Men. He reads super fun though too. Yeah, like there, there's like the, the the a lot of the dialogue is really fun. I mean, Wolverine's got some great. Yeah, I mean, there's just some great, great X Men moments. I mean, overall, very much enjoyed, and I'm glad. Um, I'm glad I got a uh, crash course from Professor Reisinger. <laughs> It's so much information, so much. And it will all be on the final test. Well, I'll okay. have you eventually on my Silmarillion podcast. I would love it. Uh, I uh, There's a actually a road in Austin that's called Silmarillion. Every time I pass by it, I think of you. Oh, I do. Thank you. Um, it's actually a whole neighborhood of uh, Tolkien-themed uh, streets. There's a Hobbiton road. There's a Silmarillion um there's some others but uh yeah i think of you and elise that's i'm um, wait my... that's that's in that's in austin that's in austin i didn't even all right all right okay I'm, I'm <laughs> i'll take a, i'll take a picture of it next time this. i pass it yeah um there is one last activity to do before we go <clears throat> uh, it's a fun it's a fun little game um basically i thought since people are so interested in you know the portrayal of the x-men in films and everyone's waited with bated breath for their introduction into the mcu i'm giving all of my guests the opportunity to offer up um the their fan casting of any x-men character they want you know their favorite character or maybe somebody that was in this story um so if you joel rubin got to cast any x-men character in the mcu with any actor or actress um who do you think you might go for? Um, Brennan Fraser as the uh, as the whale as the blob. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> I feel like I had a better answer, um, and there should be a better answer because there was a lot of discourse on his portrayal. But uh, let me think. Let me think of a real, a real one. Um, I mean. I mean, it's it's real with everywhere you know you could be even like a dead actor we could play in fantasy lands of stuff um i feel like i feel like i want to see i feel like i want to see rami malik in here somewhere I don't, oh i don't know who as an x-men rami malik as an x-men right he gives off 
he might actually be a good like night crawler. Oh, um, I could see that. That's really I, he's I, he's not whip it enough, but um, I could like I could see the acting really well. And yeah, again, you the, can the hear the his German features. accent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very much. And the facial features are extreme enough, and you can imagine him with like uh you know white out contacts, you know, with the yeah. bright you know you, yellowish white eyes. You want you want Willem Dafoe at the age of like twenty four for Nightcrawler. <laughs> That'd be so good. I think that would be great. Willem Dafoe, as any X-Men character, I'm here for. That Give that man any role. Give him a, uh, either even a hero or a villain role, you know? What are, what are some of the other choices? I, w- I want to hear some of the other choices. Of, like, uh, characters or, like, fan casting? From fa- fan casting from, your, from, from the, the history of this podcast. I just started this game last episode oh, okay. because I was inspired by actually Bruce who wanted to talk. I had Bruce Green on. And I he listened wanted... to most of that one. I, did, I, could, I, yeah. I ran out of time. He's a huge MCU fan. He wanted to talk about that a lot. But um, I I threw out that uh, – it's funny you referenced James Marsden. Uh, Cyclops' father is actually Corsair, a, a character named Corsair, who is kind of like a Han Solo character in this like uh, group called the Starjammers. And I thought, <laughs> oh – James Marsden's aged a bit too much to be a young Cyclops. It'd be cool if he played the father of Cyclops and came back as Corsair. Um, but cool. Jacob had an interesting casting where it doesn't work age-wise, but if we could go back to the younger years of this actor, he wanted to see Christoph Waltz as Nightcrawler. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm down for that man to play anything as well. Um, I... It's it's I find it easier to cast the X Men of uh, the comics, and I find it harder to land on who I'd want to play the X Women because I adore them so much. Like Rogue is my favorite character of all time, but I just don't know who I would trust to be the bombastic Dolly Parton with Superman powers. Yeah, I mean that's I think that's the question: is do you want like well, which era Rogue? do you want i guess i i want i want i want the the 90s rogue is my love big hair big attitude i feel like you amy know. adams could have done a good rogue at one point oh she's done a, she's done a southern accent before she's done and she and she does like these sort of big characters and and she's done yeah i could see that a little bit get her in the gym yeah and i could see that yeah yeah that's that's i mean she yeah that's that's a maybe to me that's a maybe i mean i mean honestly i want i'd want if we could go back to the time when she was in movies i'd want dolly parton to be oh, in the role if i could i mean obviously um, like steel magnolia's era dolly oh best parton. little whorehouse era <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. even further back yeah yeah yeah. can i can i say that on the podcast i mean it's a, that's a you can you can yeah, have yeah, you, yeah. Have you, you seen it that. john have you seen it uh, not in its entirety. It's I have incredible. seen. I've seen parts of it. Um, it's so uh, it's good. on. It's on the list of to do. Well, Joel, this was a delight. I'm. I'm so glad to have been on your show. I'm. I'm. I'm thankful you invited me. <laughs> um, I, I'm hoping you'll have me back to talk more about X Men sometime. Um, I am so impressed at how much you committed to really reading this and trying to understand it and criticizing it. It was. You were a delight. Well, thank you. I I delighted in being your guest, but also in um in reading it. It's it's a part of culture that again I really did feel was too cool for me to participate in, and so being able to dip my toe into the uh into the the um the spawning pool of our current you know 
mass media culture, like this is where it all came from. Yeah. Really scratched yeah. an itch for me. Well, that's fantastic. And for those who uh, enjoyed you ha having you here, I know you're not regularly participating in being in content, but where would you like to send people to, you know, maybe stumble upon you? Oh, uh, please don't stumble upon me. Um, uh, I truly am not in content um, hardly at all anymore, but I am so proud of the work that we're doing on Smosh, and I would recommend yeah. um, just, uh, I, I really feel like we're in a golden era of Smosh, and so please uh, check out what we're doing on youtube.com slash Smosh, Smosh Pit, and Smosh Games. I uh, am warmed uh, every time I see how much you show that you are enjoying the your participation in this content that you're making, the production of it and all that kind of stuff. I'm glad you're, I'm very happy to see that you're happy with what you're making. Well, thank you very much. Uh, yes, it's, a, it's, a, it's also a golden age of Joel. It's a golden age of Joel. I love it. Golden age everywhere. <laughs> Well, thank you, Joel. Uh, I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, I will have to uh, think long and hard of a way to uh, entice you to come back for another episode because I refuse this to be the only time you're ever on here. So um, get prepared for me to be uh, coaxing you sometime in the future to read some more X-Men comics, okay? Wonderful. Okay. Well, uh, thank you to you as well, the audience, for listening. I appreciate you guys hanging out, and I hope to see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.